0: Welcome Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Roseberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are serving as a caregiver, taking care of somebody who has some type of chronic impairment. It could be autism, could be addiction, could be Alzheimer's. Whatever the chronic impairment, there's always a caregiver. Sometimes they're up close, living with them. Sometimes they're far away, but they're still managing all types of day in and day out kind of stuff. Whatever it is, the caregiver is an endangered individual. And this program is designed and purposed on strengthening family caregivers to help you stay strong and healthy as you take care of someone who is not. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, go to hopeforthecaregiver.com, send us a message, send us a note. Whatever's on your mind, we'll be glad to try to discuss these things and share them with the audience and talk about them. We're not going to fix anything. We don't provide solutions here because there are no solutions for many of the things that we deal with in this life. But what we do is we point to safety, we point to assurance, we point to security, and that is in Scripture, through the Word of God, and these principles that God has laid down on how we're to live our life in this broken, fallen world. And Anybody tells you they have solutions, just tread softly in that. If you're dealing with any kind of chronic impairment, by definition, they haven't solved it. We got to learn to deal with it. We got to learn to live with it. We have to learn to adapt and trust Him in this. And that's what I want to bring to you right now in this opening block. That I, are you are you living in the present, trusting Him with this, and are you able to see His hand of mercy? You know that old hymn. He lives. They got a great. Here, let me go to the caregiver keyboard here. He's got a great line in here I see his hand of mercy I hear his voice of cheer And just the time I need him He's always near He lives, he lives That's the great old hymn Christ Jesus lives today He walks with me and talks with me A long life's narrow way You know this hymn? I love this hymn Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. I'm not going to sing this high note. He lives <laughs> within my heart. We've got a great old hymn. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And do you see that in your life as a caregiver? Do you? If you don't, are you willing to take maybe? a tiny leap of faith that you can, that there are moments today that you can have where it doesn't take away all the sting. It doesn't take away all the burden that you deal with. It doesn't take away the heartache, but that you're able to see his fingerprints. You're able to see a little bit more grace than you did yesterday. Matthew six thirty four, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, living here in the moment. Ephesians five fifteen through sixteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. James four fourteen, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you were a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And that's pretty much what Solomon was saying to Ecclesiastes. So what I'm saying to you is, what are you doing today? If you're waiting for something to get better, or even worse, before you start living a different kind of life, you could be settling down for a miserable journey. Now, I'm 36 years into this as a caregiver. I can't... Put my life on hold for 36 years. I have to live life to the best of my abilities. Gracie does too. By the way, she took a walk down the driveway. We have a very long driveway out here in Montana. And when I say driveway, it's not asphalt. It's gravel because we live 10 miles from a paved road. But her physical therapist was here. She's using elbow crutches. And she walked all the way down to the driveway and back. Now, she she pays for it. It's painful. It's a long journey. But that's a long ways from where she was. And she's doing it much straighter. And she's been, and for those of you just now joining us, um, Gracie had a pretty, pretty rough surgery in January uh, to straighten her back up. She was 45 degrees bent over because of a fusion that she had 20 years ago. And they undid all of that, rebuilt her back, and now she's walking. And, it, and she walked into church Sunday too, by the way, without a wheelchair. She just took her crutches and she walked in and then went to lunch afterwards. So she's improving but she's making the most of where she is today. We can do that as well. And I will tell you on a personal note, I, for me, I did that yesterday. We have some cattle moving up here to Gracie's dad's place from down below. And the whole neighborhood comes together on horseback. And my nephew happened to be up here. We met him, uh, met the cattle drive coming up the, through the sage. But it was not on a road. It was up through, through the sage, through the fields coming up to this property up here, they're going to graze for the summer. It helps keep the grass down and uh, keeps the fire hazard low, lower. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there's so many people. There must have been 15, 16, 17 people out there on horseback, dogs, and and 60 head of cattle. And uh, we're up here in the mountains of Montana doing that. And it was like, wow. And I could see his hand of mercy. I could hear his voice at you. I looked around in this magnificent, Creation. I posted a picture of it on our Facebook page at Hope for the Caregiver. uh, On our Facebook page. Go go, take a look at it. It's pretty cool. And then you can also, uh, while you're there, check out our Facebook group, Hope for the Caregiver. That's a a group that I started. I keep it very sequestered. And uh, you can post things there that you may want other people to help pray for. You know, whatever. Whatever's on your heart. But I post a lot of things in there. But go take a look at that at our Facebook page. I think you'll... You'll like it, but it just gave me a moment just to see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer and how beautiful his creation is. And when you're hearing cows and dogs and horses and, and cowboys, you know, hooping and hollering, moving them, I gotta tell you, it's um it's what you call soul healing, you know? And for me it was just it was just a moment just to be able to do that. My horse was she'd never been around cows before. And she was just pitching a fit. And so I'm going to call a local rancher friend of mine who's very, very good with horses she used to, uh, she and her husband before he died, they did all kinds of rodeo together where they would partner with calving and I mean, uh, uh roping and so forth. And so I'm going to call today to figure out what in the world is going on with this horse because she was just difficult. And, uh, but you know, in all fairness, I'm, Jumping around into the sage with 60 head of cattle and a bunch of cowboys yelling. So maybe she just got nervous. But her bridle, something was the matter with it. But I'll figure it out. But those are things that I do to kind of settle my soul down. Now, we can't all do a cattle drive in Montana. I get that. But this, you know, I've never done this before. I've been riding horses all my life, but I've never done this. And so I look for those things in the moment, in the moment where I can enjoy it. Every day doesn't have to be filled with misery. There is beauty around us if we're willing to see it. If we're willing to trust that he is working in all these, things, if we're willing to see his hand of mercy and hear his voice of cheer. You know, these are things that we can do as caregivers today that will improve our life and give us calmness and peace, more peace and increasingly more peace. It's work. It's intentional. It's not accidental. Okay? You're not going to have joy accidentally. You're going to have joy purposely. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then Paul goes on to say, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. now He was in a Roman jail when he wrote that, tied up to a Roman linebacker. But he understood the peace that was available to him. How about it? How about you? Would you like that same peace? This is what we're looking for as caregivers, to calm our hearts down, settle ourselves down and see his hand of mercy. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back.
1: In churches in a lot of churches today the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room it's in the news but it's not in the church so if it's in society it needs to be something the churches are addressing
2: in his image
1: with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event.
2: To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, geologist and president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, are spiders ever found in the fossil record?
0: Yes, unbelievably, Chris, they are. Not only spiders, but sometimes spider webs are found. A spider and its web was found in amber, which was dated by evolutionists at 190 million years old. Now, I don't buy the date. I think the amber was formed at the time of Noah's flood. But think how silly this makes the millions of years idea look. Spider silk is so fragile, it dehydrates and deteriorates quite quickly. Does anybody really think it's going to last for 190 million years? Chris, a better idea is out there. It's the back to Genesis idea of creation and the
2: flood. To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Visit our web store at icr.org store and use the promo code FACT at the checkout when ordering your That's a Fact DVD.
0: That's why I love you, Jesus. That's why. When nobody gave me a prayer. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is B.J. Thomas. Wonderful song. I've loved it for a lifetime. One of the first songs I learned how to play on the piano. And uh, Archie Jordan, of course, wrote that. And he's been on our program. It's just a great song. And it's a great topic for what we're going to talk about today. In the next couple of segments here, I'm here with Reverend Percy McRae from South Florida, and we're going to talk about cancer and ministering to those who are dealing with cancer and their families. And many times when you hear the cancer word, people just go into a, a almost a paralysis of fear. It is a harsh brick-to-the-face diagnosis. And you gave me love when nobody gave me a prayer. Sometimes people are sitting in their oncologist's office saying, you know, nobody's giving give me a prayer on this. But we have a Savior that does, who advocates for us, who is with us through all of this. And Reverend McCray knows exactly what that feels like. And he's doing what he can to uh, minister to those who are struggling with this. So, Reverend McCray, thank you very, very much for being a part of the program today. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience.
0: Tell me your journey first, then we're going to get into how this has uh, been unfolding over your life and over your ministry, what God has called. But tell us your journey first.
3: Well, I have an interesting journey. Right out of uh, Bible College in uh, Broken Arrow, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I had the opportunity to join uh, a cancer organization, Cancer Treatment Centers of America, now part of City of Hope. Uh, with an opportunity to be part of their pastoral care team, very young uh, in its origin, and I was asked by the organization uh, to somehow create an atmosphere and an environment where spirituality and faith was very much part of the clinical experience of all cancer patients and their caregivers if they were so inclined, and so began almost three decades ago now, Uh, working inside of a clinical environment with cancer patients and then three years ago I had the opportunity uh, where I was diagnosed with early stage colon cancer so for many years supporting cancer patients and their caregivers uh, praying with and supporting them uh, through uh, very difficult scenarios and situations I had the opportunity uh, to walk that walk along with talking the talk and so uh, As of today, I'm doing well and fine. My prognosis is fantastic, Uh, but I do certainly have a very different vantage point uh, now knowing what it feels like to be told the words that you have cancer, and it is a journey that requires love, support, and understanding and insight.
0: What do you feel like has changed with you over these years as you have spent a lot of time with cancer patients and their families? Uh, what has changed for you from that young, right out of Bible college student to now? And how have you uh, grown, adapted? What, what, what have you learned about God's provision? What are some insights that, that has happened over these last several years for you?
3: That, that is a great question. You know, fresh out of Bible college, you know, you're, you're young, you're frisky, uh, and you're ready to preach and, you know, you're ready to call down, you know, fire from heaven and et cetera. But the reality was that I had to learn how to really exercise patience. Uh, Working with the cancer community, I often tell people uh, cancer journeys is, in many cases, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And, of course, we're conditioned as pastors and in in our faith communities, you know, we are there to kind of give instantaneous messages and exhortations. And you know, and 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 see the power of God do, and 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 complete scenarios and situations in a much more quicker fashion. But hospital healthcare ministry to ca- uh, patients, cancer patients requires diligent and patient, and really long suffering. And it's one of the reasons why there are not many people who are very engaged in cancer care ministry, because it requires a commitment of time. So I had to learn how to be patient. And to work with uh, and work through the scenarios of supporting cancer patients that that took time in many cases uh, for them to see change and progression and to be there through the thick and thin and the grind uh, of a day, a week, a month, and a year, if you will.
0: You know, as a recipient of a lot of pastoral care over the years in hospital, a lot of pastors would come in hot to the room uh, or to us and uh, yep. And by that I mean they, they, they come in and they're waving prayer cloths and and prophesying and yelling out Scripture and, you know, yep. everything in their brother. What have you learned over the years about approaching a room of suffering?
3: You're absolutely correct. And, and it's, it's, it's just a lack of understanding and knowledge uh, with regard to coming into an environment uh, and not being part of the environment. And that's a huge delineation Uh, and you're exactly right. Uh, In many cases, cancer patients are mentally, emotionally, and certainly uh, physically, they are suffering through processes, being poked, being prodded, uh, being medicated, you know, uh, enduring, you know, significant procedures. And so uh, one of the things that's important to understand, and I hope that there are some pastors and, and faith leaders that are listening to me today, is really understanding the fact that Uh, coming into an environment of suffering definitely requires a different pace, a different rhythm, and a different cadence. Uh, You know, not just kind of walking through the front door and and kind of uh, doing what you're used to doing in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. Because in many cases, cancer patients simply mentally, emotionally, and physically are not able to even engage with that type of rhythm. They're tired. They're exhausted. You know, their attention span... Uh, you know, waned, you know, they, they're sleepy, they're tired. So, again, it's really uh, what I had to understand with regard to that, and I remember my first couple of experiences, you know, I came in with kind of a fiery exhortation, just as you articulated, and two minutes into the to that, the patient was sound asleep. And it wasn't because I was boring. It was because they were tired and they were medicated, and, and so they simply drifted off. So it's really understanding, first and foremost, allowing the patient to drive the bus. If there's nothing else that I'll say today, is that we need to allow the patient to dictate the time, the tempo, what they want to talk about. When we come in with our pre-inscribed, you know, uh, scriptures and thoughts and, and you know, prophecies, uh, that may very well not be the thing that the patient is ready for or interested in hearing, but we never stop to take time to find out what, It was what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to talk about, what was on their heart. We must allow every cancer patient to drive the bus and dictate the tone and tempo of the conversation. And that may take several visits for us to really establish a rapport and a relationship that is meaningful for them. And we do make mistakes in coming off the street hot, as you said, and we need to really adjust that.
0: You know, I remember when my wife first lost her right leg, eventually she lost her left leg as well, but... This is back in 1991. And this young man came in and he was trying to be helpful. He was a peer support kind of guy and he really wanted to be helpful. I'll never forget this. And he wanted to, her to, you know, to not feel afraid of the stigma and see a prosthetic mm-hmm. leg and so forth. So he showed her his prosthetic foot. He had one below the knee, just like hers and she had not been fitted yet for a prosthesis, but his foot looked Mm. like he had tied it up behind the car, drug it down the road for a while, and then shot Mm. it with the 12-gauge. I mean, his foot was just beat up, you know, and and Gracie was was just like, she's just burst into tears. She's like, this is what I'm going to have to wear kind of thing, and of course it wasn't, and and she wears all kinds of great legs, but it's one of those things where he was, showing things like that, and, and you caution people about not sharing horror stories of previous persons with cancer and things like that, not overpowering people.
3: Unpack that a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I would encourage that, that individual, he needs to upgrade his prosthetic if he's going to show it to someone, number one. <laughs> but exactly right. Uh, one of the early principles of, of, of hospital ministry that I learned is do not share horror stories or overwhelm or overpower a cancer patient or, or anyone in, in a healthcare scenario. Again, they simply may not be mentally prepared or ready for that. And, and see, as believers and as, and as Christians, ministers, you're right, we have, we have great intentions, but our intentions can be uh, poorly received because we don't understand the dynamic of where that person is. One of the great things about the ministry of Jesus uh, is that he, he always came down to the level of where people were. He didn't try to bring people up to where he was. As in a great example, the woman at the well is probably one of my favorite stories because he came down on her level. He understood uh, her social dynamic. He understood the, the, you know, the, the climate and the, the scenario of her backdrop and her story, and he met her where she was. And so we have to meet patients where they are, And in order to do that, we first have to do a little uh, query. We need to understand. We need to hear from them first before we delve into. Many of us go into the hospital setting with kind of a pre-inscribed script of how we're going to address and start a conversation. That is the first major mistake that we make. You throw your script out. You don't have a script. You come in with a blank slate, and you allow that patient to help set the tone of what it is that they want, what they desire, and where they are willing and ready to go. And you cannot do that uh, by just walking in the front door. I know that we have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but we need to take time to allow that individual to unpack some things. How are you feeling today? Uh, how are things going for you? And allow them to kind of give you some, some some messaging points that then you can be, again, to attack or, or address. But just going in and just kind of assuming what someone needs to hear or see is is a fatal mistake. So we need to allow the patient to give us a sense of the direction that they want us to go in. And that that will require some time, and that will require some inquiry, and that will require some diligence and some patience.
0: You know, one of my favorite verses is Job 2.13, and it said, His friends came and they sat with him quiet for seven days because they saw his suffering was great and all too often today people don't know how to be quiet with somebody for seven minutes and (laughs) well it's 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 okay to just kind of sit with people isn't it
3: yeah it is the, the the greatest availability uh one of the biggest things that people share with me and have shared with me about cancer patients and supporting them is well i don't know what to say i'm not sure what i should say or not say in this particular case being present goes a very long way your availability can be your greatest ability when you don't know what else to say be present be available and simply be silent and allow the presence of the room to dictate uh, the tone and the tempo it's perfectly fine to do so
0: absolutely we're talking with Reverend Percy McCrae he is uh, he's got a great podcast health hope and healthhopeandinspiration.com. We're going to talk some more when we come back from the break. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And this program is designed to help equip you to be healthy. We'll be right back.
2: This is Frank Gaffney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks, the award-winning documentary from the American Family Association is now available in a special limited edition DVD set. This release includes a Sunday school curriculum and two hours of additional footage. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get your copy today. thegodwhospeaks.org. Steve Russo with Real Answers. When we look at the cross of Christ, we should do so in awe and gratitude as we realize all that He did for us. Jesus paid a tremendous price to free us from the penalty of sin. Because God is loving and full of grace, our lives can be radically changed. If you are a follower of Christ, the quality of your life should be different, transformed as a result of Christ's work on the cross. Your life should be characterized by power, love, even victory over temptation. Jesus did not go through the agony of the cross for us to live frustrated, empty, and unproductive lives. To experience a transformed life, you must allow
0: the Word of God to fill your mind and live a spirit-controlled life. We must daily submit our
2: lives to Christ as Lord and make up our mind to live by what is right rather than what is convenient. For more Real Answers, visit the Real Answers website, www.realanswers.com.
0: Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger, and that is my wife, Gracie. Uh, thank you for that, Pat, for playing her on that one. I, I, that's a song she recorded many, many years ago, and I, every now and then I go back and listen to it, I'm like, oh, baby. I just love that voice. Hope Hopeforthecaregiver.com, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We are talking with Reverend Percy McCrae, and he has an extraordinary minister, ministry to cancer patients and their caregivers Uh, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And you can go and learn more about him at healthhopeandinspiration.com. I hope you will. He's got wonderful insights on what it's like to minister into this very, very difficult valley, as Gracie was singing, in the the valley of the shadow of death. Um, And the valley of the shadow of death is a very frightening and sometimes a very long place. And we as believers are called to go in there with people. That's the whole point. To, to go into those dark places. And as he was saying before the break, some people say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, that's okay. Scripture knows what to say. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. You just show up. Um, uh, Somebody's asked me one time about a um, ministry to the uh, to folks that are suffering, and I said, well, it's the, uh, the three S's. You suit up, you put on the righteousness of Christ, you show up, and you shut up. <laughs> just suit up, show up, shut up. You don't have to fix this. But companionship, believing, praying, companionship during this is what people are crying out for. And uh, Reverend McCray is, is been, has been blazing this trail for, for many people for a long time in doing this. Uh, I want to pivot just a hair, Reverend McCray, and talk a little bit about uh, the, the people in the room with you when you go in to see the cancer patient and you look around the room and there's a family member or so forth. Where does your where does your head and heart go when you turn to them?
3: Yeah, that's a great question, because in many cases, uh, if you're visiting as a minister or pastor or, or church member, uh, the first thing that you need to be aware of is who's who in the zoo, who's in the room, who else is in the environment. You need to take stock of, of, the, of the temperature of the room, the climate, and you certainly need to... Uh, uh, befriend whoever else is in the room. Yes, you're there to see the patient, but you also need to to try to establish as quickly as you possibly can, with whatever amount of time that you may have, some sort of quick rapport with their visitors and and acknowledge them. I've seen many people walk into a room with a patient and completely ignore their caregivers or their other visitors, and it's very it's very off putting, quite frankly. And so. Uh, you need to uh, establish, you know, what's going on. There may have been some type of very deep or emotional conversation that was being taken place or interaction with that other person. Uh, So you need to understand the temperature of the water that you're entering into so that you do not uh, create any type of um, weird energy because you need to understand that there's something else going on there. So where your head and your heart needs to be is first acknowledgement, hello, hello, Uh, my name is so-and-so, so-and-so, and and you are, and allow that individual to kind of give you some sense of it's okay for you to come in and be part of what we're doing right now. I've seen, and it's unintentional, I've seen people who have been unintentionally rude spiritually and disregard uh, who else is in the room. I'll give you a great example. Uh, I entered into a patient's room that I built relationship with, and his dad was there to see him. And his dad was of another uh, spiritual orientation, and and his son said to me, he said, "This is my dad, Reverend McRae, who I've been telling you about, and I want you to tell him why he needs to get born again." And his dad looked <laughs> at me with a certain look, like if you dare go down that road with me. And so immediately, what I did is that I did I did just the opposite of what the son asked me to do. I befriended his father. I ingratiated him. I told him how much his son loved him and spoke about him and how it was such a pleasure to meet him, and I was so glad that he was there. And it diffused his defensive posture immediately because he was not ready or willing to have that discussion at that moment and time. So you must understand and take assessment of, uh, again, using the metaphor of who's who in the zoo. Who's there? Who else is in the environment so that you can respond and react accordingly.
0: Part of being able to do that involves a skill set that some people may not think they have, and some people quite truthfully don't have, but clearly you do. When did you discover that you could read the room?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. You're right. Um, uh, I, I came with, with, with an, an ability and an acumen to do that based upon Uh, the previous work that I was involved in, and and people who are listening will laugh at this because they won't see the connection at all. But I used to be a car salesman in my previous life before I I got into the ministry. And part of being an effective salesperson is the ability to create rapport and relationship and understand the dynamics of the people that are sitting in front of you before you just delve into trying to sell them something. Uh, The five principles of salesmanship is... uh, is, is first introduction, create rapport and relationship, gain common ground, to ask the needs of the customer, and then you make a sale to them. But you cannot do principle number five until you've done one through four. And so I came to, to, to that environment with that background and that skill set. But to your previous point, everyone can learn how to do that if they understand the psychological movement and steps of that and why it is important. Because you cannot sell or present anything to anyone who you first have not properly introduced yourself to, you've gained some type of relationship and rapport with, nor have you asked or found out what their needs are. So when you, when you understand the psychological stair steps there, anyone can begin to adapt that to their life and to their personality where then you can begin to learn how to read, if you will, the room or the environment.
0: You know I love how God uses all of our life experiences. He's a uh, he was a carpenter. He doesn't even waste the sawdust, does he? And uh, <laughs> Not um, a fan. I, uh I uh, I remember my first job, and I was when I was a teenager, and it was cleaning horse stalls. And my brothers say I'm still, you know, sometimes in the same job description. And uh, <laughs> but no, I I have four brothers, and and I uh, and my friends Tommy and Betsy, they had a big pig farm down in South Carolina, and and I remember having to clean that pig stalls out and everything else. And uh, they still laugh at me for that. And they listen to this program and, and they, but you know what, you learn a lot when you're cleaning out a stall and learn a lot about, (laughs) learn a lot about life when you're scraping pig manure off of a, off of a barn floor. And um, you learn what you don't want to be doing for the rest of your life. I promise you that. (laughs) Well, I, you know, and this, this is something I have seen when people come into our room and they don't realize Uh, the dynamics going on before they open the door to that room. And, you know, when Gracie's there, like this particular stretch she was just on for 10 weeks, well, that's her whole world is that room. She can't get up and move around. She can't do anything without help, and she is locked up in that room, and it doesn't matter how many flowers you put in there or how many cards or, you know, how many times I swung by Chick-fil-A to bring her a big gallon of sweet tea. We don't have Chick-fil-A in Montana. Well, we do way up in Kalispell, I think. (laughs) And, but there's not anyone, there's no Chick-fil-A within five hours of us. And, and she's a Southern girl and she likes sweet tea. And so, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I swung by and brought her something like that. You're still in that room and dark thoughts can overtake people. And when somebody comes in hot, they got to be aware of what just may have happened. And I'll give you an example. And I want you to respond to this. A friend of mine is a pastor, been one for 50 years. And, and, Right out of seminary, kind of like the way you were with Bible college, he was going to go on a pastoral visit with a guy that was kind of his pastoral mentor. And he'd never done anything like this before. And he said, I'm going to go visit a cancer patient. This guy's had a pretty rough go of it, and I just want to prepare you for tubes and smells, and it's going to, it's going to be pretty rough. And yep. he kind of gave him, a, gave him a good preparation for it. And my friend said, and this is down here by you, when it was happening, it was down here, he it was down here in the Miami area and uh he said pull over and the guy was my friend at the time was only maybe about 22 years old and he mm-hmm. got out of the car and threw up by the side of the road and he hadn't even gotten to the hospital yet <laughs> you know yeah. he was that nervous about it and and i get that and so i think that's the level of uh but he watched as his mentor walked in and it was just you know his old hat well it, it is old hat if you've done it before the first time yep. is going to be a little weird and a little bit nervous, and you're going to feel unsure of yourself. And this is where we lean on the Word of God and we, we saturate ourselves with that. Talk about that with you, because I know there have been times when you've gone into this and you were feeling unsure, uncertain, scared, nervous, awkward, all those kinds of things. And you look at family members who maybe have red eyes because they've been sitting in the corner crying um, yep. or they, just, they may have just had an argument. I don't yep. know. Have you ever walked in on a couple, just had a fight? Absolutely.
3: Without a doubt. So the scenarios that all of the things that you've just articulated is real-time scenarios of going into a hospital healthcare environment. And I've seen all of those and then some. And so with that being said, you are exactly right. The key to this, first and foremost, is whatever it is that you thought you knew or understood about that dynamic is, is just a, a a mere a small tinkling of, of of whatever that reality is. They are yes, there are smells. Uh, you you may even actually visibly see some things that will be off putting. Uh, someone with with you know some of their face missing or their throat. I I witnessed a, a person bleed out with because of their carotid artery that ruptured right in my presence, etc. etc. And so. Uh, this is where, to your point, first and foremost, you are going to have to be steeped and grounded and rooted in truly the love of God in order to be able to see humanity compromised on a level where there may be disfigurement, where there may be unpleasant uh, sounds that you will hear a cancer patient make, uh, groaning and pain, and et cetera. And so the, the primary dynamic that's at work here is is that you need to first be prayed up. You need to be fully—I tell people this all the time when I do all of our trainings, or when I was doing our trainings uh, for training churches and pastors on how to do uh, hospital and, and cancer care ministry, is that at the end of the day, uh, you're going to have to be completely aware of the fact that you may see and hear something that you've never seen or heard before. And that is going to have to not be the deciding dynamic of why you are there. You're there because you are leaning into the love and the hope and the faith of God that today I want to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And what would he do in this situation, which will help to ground you in those moments that may surprise you and catch you off guard?
0: Good words. And I've got one more series of questions. I want to put you on the lightning round for the next segment, Reverend McCray. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is uh, Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking with Reverend Percy McCray, and he is bringing an extraordinary journey and ministry to help minister to families dealing with cancer, not just the patient, but the whole family. And uh, Health, Hope, and Inspiration is his website, podcast. Go take a look. We'll be right back.
1: Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries, and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me, but over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison. We also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing with Hope.
2: Hi, I'm John Sorensen, president of Evangelism Explosion, and this is Share Life Today on American Family Radio. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In our day and age, we like to send missionaries to the ends of the earth. But what about our Jerusalem, the cities and areas that we're placed in? You know, we are instructed by Jesus to share the gospel and make disciples right where we are. And in Papua New Guinea, believers from North Waigani Church felt called to do just that. They had a vision for their area and a desire to share Christ with those who come into the big market there in Waigani. So they reached out to our EE leaders in Papua New Guinea to learn how to share their faith. And now they feel emboldened and empowered so that they can confidently tell others in their community the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We can too. Not sure how to get started? Well, we have resources. Visit our website at sharelife.today. Well,
0: there's a treasure at the end of this road. I'm traveling And it gives me a for my life Jesus is Welcome my back to Hope for the Caregiver, this is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program the for you as a family caregiver that is Gary Chapman and you can hear my interview with him on our podcast. uh, Go out to HopeForTheCaregiver.com. com and see more about that. It was a great interview. Talked about his father, taking care of his father with Parkinson's and then cancer. And there is a treasure at the end of this narrow road we're traveling in. And we all deal with various things along that road that are very painful. And that's why I'm very grateful that I have Reverend Percy McCray here with us today. He's been Dealing with this for 20 years, uh, 20 plus years in cancer care ministry, and he uh, has a lot of resources available free to you. Go out to his website, healthhopeandinspiration.com, and you can download some of these things. If you feel that you are led to, to minister specifically in this area with cancer patients, we're all called to minister to others. Jesus was very clear on that. Sick, naked, hungry, thirsty prison. He's pretty clear on it. And there's no ambiguity. And, and, you know, what part did he stutter in? He didn't. Um, he he was very clear on this. But some people may not be called specifically to this with cancer ministry. But if you feel this is tug- tugging at your heart, this is the man you want to go talk to and get some insights from him. Reverend McCree. I wanted to build on some of the things we were talking about in the last segment. Oftentimes, family members are struggling with with a multitude of things and they they have to go through their own journey with it and do you find that a lot of them are trying to apologize for or cover up or they're embarrassed about what their loved one is going through or whatever sounds and whatever's going on in the room and all that kind of stuff I, I know you have how do you help ease them through that process? How do you help them calm down and just be okay that you're
3: there with them? You're absolutely right. The caregivers uh, often have very significant dynamics that they're working through mentally and emotionally. Caregivers need to be cared for, and we need to remember that. And part of that is, in many cases, you may actually need to do some separate ministry to the caregiver out of the presence of the patient themselves. Many caregivers are postured to be in a protective mode, and to be in a mode of strength uh, because they don't want the, ki- the patient that they're caring for to see them vulnerable. But if you are able to uh, pull them aside and have some private time with them, then you are able in many cases to kind of get beneath the veneer of that and, and really get into some of the dynamics of, of where, what they're going through. And you are right. In many cases, uh, they are embarrassed. Uh, maybe even ashamed, and they're trying to protect and cloak a scenario. But in many cases, cancer, uh, particularly with cancer patients, caregivers are also struggling with guilt in some cases. Was it my fault? What did I do wrong? Uh, How did I add stress into this person's life? So they are also dealing with issues maybe uh, that may require some forgiveness, uh, some confession. And so you need to be able to be sensitive to the fact that the caregiver may have some very unique dynamics that's separate from the patient themselves that needs to be ministered to. And can you build rapport relationship and trust with them that will allow them to to kind of pull down the veneer and allow you to have access to some of their mental, emotional, and spiritual needs. But they do, and they are struggling. And in many cases, they are not being addressed.
0: Well, thank you for that, because as one who has not been addressed – Um, that, that is, uh, refreshing to hear because people don't know what to say to the caregiver either. There are times in my journey with this that I've encountered people with, with pretty brutal stuff. And Gracie and I, of course, no stranger to it, but sometimes there are some things I encountered that's intensely more brutal at that moment than, than what we live with. Mm -hmm. And we saw this some at Walter Reed when we spent a lot of time with wounded warriors and so forth but there's other times I've talked to people and afterwards I just have to take a knee, you know, and I'm, and I, I have to go off by myself and just catch my breath and take a knee. Can you share maybe one of those times with you that was just so difficult that you, you had to dig deep into God for this?
3: Oh, there've been many occasions and many times I, I can recall very vividly a rather young woman, 28, 29 years of age, beautiful. And, um, she was experiencing end-stage processes with her cancer, and she was with her mom, and she looked up at me, and with these beautiful blue eyes and with a big tear coming out of her eyes, she said, Reverend McRae, please help me to understand why is it so hard to get healed. And and it broke me down. It, it, it literally took everything that I had within me uh, to stand there and to love up on her and to hug her, and um, I did what we needed to do. I provided her with ministry. Um, and then when I left out of her presence, I literally had to go out of the building and go get in my car just to regroup and regather after hearing this, this just beautiful young woman who basically was at the stages of, of passing away ask me the most difficult question that, I've ever, that I was ever asked. And that was, why is it so difficult to get healed? And then I had the privilege of officiating her her funeral, and I remember my legs feeling like rubber at the podium. There was 3,000 people there waiting to hear what I had to say. And I said, Lord, if you don't speak through me today, I don't know if Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to do this. It was just so emotionally difficult. But yes, and for people who are in this industry, for lack of a better word, ministry, there is a dynamic that is called uh, compassion fatigue that we have to be mindful of and that we have to to be intentional about in terms of taking respite and disconnecting when appropriate so that we can be rejuvenated, just as Jesus did. Most of his time, Jesus spent time alone after he spent time with the crowds ministering and feeding and, 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 and ministering to the flock. Then he said that he would slip away quietly where he could kind of rejuvenate and allow the Holy Spirit to to reinvest back into Him energy and strength and power. So there have been many times that I've had to do that and just simply get quiet and still and go sit across the street in the park and just kind of gather my thoughts. Absolutely.
0: You know, in the last few moments, I'd like for you to go a little bit deeper on that one because I I have a working belief that true ministry will cost you something every time. If you're walking away from a sermon or a ministry encounter and you're just ready to go and just have a good time and just, you know, yuck it up with everybody else. You kind of have to wonder how effective were you? Because mm-hmm. true ministry is really going to cost you and you do need to slip away quietly. You do need to have a few moments uh, just to collect your thoughts and your heart because you're pouring out your heart and you're, you're joining with the the sufferings of Christ, which is looking at this broken world and seeing it for what it is. Jesus looked mm-hmm. out over the masses and he was moved and and i I think that the more we walk with Christ in this, the more we share in those sufferings and share in that compassion that he had and also that groaning that he had over the brokenness of all of this and so in the last just few moments, would you just talk a little bit about that of of the cost um, of ministering to people who are suffering and their families and the the what 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 send, Even though your legs are rubber, what sends you to that pulpit? What sends you back into the next hospital room?
3: Well, you, you are a thousand percent correct. Uh, anyone that is truly called to the ministry and the service of humanity on behalf of the kingdom of God, uh, they will have to invest and they will have to give up something in order to do that and to do it effectively and to do it well. And uh, I also passed through a church for, for many years also while I was also working in the, the cancer care community, and I remember one day that I had to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't do both because of the mental and emotional and physical exhaustion and just the, the deposit that had to be made on a consistent basis and understanding that you don't just get to skip through, uh, you know, the tulips, and, and quote a sermon and then you know sing a hymn and then you receive an offering and you go home that that you carry those people with you there are there are parts of you that you lead that you invest in the in the hearts and the souls of those that you come in contact with and they they are part of your your being so there is a cost and and so i believe the apostle paul said it best that i have i have spent and been spent for you i have spent all that i have for you in, in giving you the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a cost to be paid. There are, you know, you can't cross uh, that river without paying the toll. Uh, and so for any young minister that is listening to me today, uh, there is a cost to be paid. It's worth it at the end of the day, for sure. There's no question about it. And I wouldn't do anything differently. But you will, you will have to invest a part of who you are, your mind, your soul, uh, your emotions. Uh, some people... Have said to me at times that you're you're too too serious, you're too melancholy, uh, and I've had to tell people. But at the end of the day, I carry the burden of of, the, of a hurt and dying world. And like the compassion of Christ, you can't just walk and see that and experience that and just go and sit down and say that everything is okay. That that is going to impact you, and it should impact you, and it should uh, leave some sort of mark or scar upon you, as Paul talked about. His stripes that he received, uh, there are stripes that we receive for the calling, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and certainly to ministry to the the hurt and to the sick and to the dying. But know at the end of the day that there is no greater cause worth having than that, and that you will be rewarded for that. And I'm grateful that God called me faithful, and I try to live up to that and be faithful to that calling every day. Mm.
0: Thank you very much, Reverend Percy McCray healthhopeandinspiration.com. He's got resources available for you. Please go out and take a look at what he's doing. Get involved. Cancer Treatment Centers of America is where he's been ministering, and he is doing this. He's on the front line of this to people who suffer in their families. Pastor McCray, thank you for being a part of the program. I really do
3: appreciate it. Thank you, my friend, and I look forward to coming back, seeing you anytime in the future. God bless you. Thank you.